You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Kia ora church. Welcome out today. I especially want to say welcome to you if you are visiting us. If it's your first time watching, we genuinely are so happy that you are here. As Steve mentioned, I'm beginning today the first part in a brand new series that we are calling Unusual. And we are looking at all of the weird and wonderful and unusual and bizarre moments in scripture where sometimes you look at it and you go, what on earth is going on there? And we're just trying to see if there are perhaps some things that we can pull out of those stories and those passages that can really make it relevant and relatable to our lives. And I am beginning the series with a message today that I have called Nailed It. So grab out your notes. I wanna encourage you to lean into this message. Uh, maybe take notes as you listen along and engage with, uh, with it as I share with you today from the book of Judges. Now, in Judges chapter four, Israel has turned their hearts once again away from the Lord. And they're living under the oppressive rule of a Canaanite king named King Jabin. And they're living that way for a good 20 years. And this king is incredibly oppressive. They are living under a strict rule, harsh oppression against Northern Israel. Uh, The army that King Jabin has, has 900 iron chariots and is commanded by a man by the name of Caesarea. He is the captain of King Jabin's army. In Judges, we also meet a woman by the name of Deborah. Now, she is a prophetess at the time. And in Judges chapter 4, we see that Deborah sends word. She sends word to the commander of the Israelite army, a man by the name of Barak. Now, she sends this word to Barak. She sends for him and she says this. She says, I want you the Lord is sending you to go against King Jabin's army from the top of Mount Tabor with 10,000 men. And so we pick up our reading in Judges chapter four, verse six, where she says, she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Caesarea, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There, I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go, but you will not receive honor for this venture. For the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up, and Deborah also went with him. We continue our reading in verse 12, where it says this, When Caesarea was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Caesarea, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. 
When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leapt down from his chariot and escaped on foot. When Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harasheth Haggayim, killing all of Sisera's warriors, not a single one was left alive. Here is where our story gets a little bit more interesting. Sisera escapes, leaving all of his warriors to die, and he runs five miles to seek asylum in the tent of a woman named Jael. Now, we come to understand from our story that this should have been a safe place for him. Sisera should have been safe and secure in Jael's tent because there was a treaty between Jael's husband and the Canaanite king, King Jabin. Jael's tent should have been sacred ground. At Jael's tent, he should have been safe. He should have been okay in her tent. And so here we meet Jael. We're reading in Judges 4 verse 18. It says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. She went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks you if anyone is here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out and met him. She said, she said, come, and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. When I first read that story, I have to tell you, I was like, what on earth is going on? What just happened? Did she just put a tent peg through his head while he was sleeping? I mean, have you read your Bible lately? It is full of strange and unusual scenes just like this one. Scenes where I'm like, wait, hang on a minute, back up the truck, let me read that again. Did that really say, did that, Did it just say she put a tent peg through the dude's head? I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. What's really interesting though about this story is that nothing in it seems to be normal. There is a whole list of things that just are not as they should be, that are totally out of the norm of what, it sh what, it, what should have been like. Let's start with Barak. He's the commander of an army, but he refuses to go into battle unless a woman goes with him. Now, listen, I am all for girl power, right? I'm all about girl power. But even I can see that this situation is a little strange. This is a little bit unusual in terms of the events that took place, especially in biblical days, when it was very rare to see any woman in any kind of military role. And yet here is a commander of an army who doesn't want to go into battle unless he's accompanied by a woman. It's also extremely strange that he accepts the fact 
that victory will come at the hands of a woman. Complete, it would be completely out of the ordinary for this to take place. And more of a surprise is that Barak seems totally okay with this. He doesn't question it. He doesn't ask anything about it. He just goes along with it. The other thing that was out of place in this story is that Israel should never have won this battle. Everything was stacked against them. You have to know that in this battle, not only did did Jabin's, uh, did, did Jabin's army have 900 iron chariots, the highest of military excellence in terms of military equipment in the time, but they also had a whole army of warriors on foot as well. They were far outnumbered. The, and when you think of a strategic plan for battle, this just was not a very good one that Israel had for winning. Everything was stacked against them. They should not have won. They didn't have enough soldiers and they didn't have enough weapons. That's before we even talk about Jael. I mean, aside from the rather unique murder weapon uh, that she chose, Jael's involvement here begs the question, why? Why did she get involved in the first place? You see, what we have to know is that Jael and her husband Heba were not Israelites. They were not Israelites at all. Not only were they not Israelites, they had no allegiance to Israel. They had no association with Israel. There was no reason for her to help Israel. In fact, it should have been the other way around because her husband, her family, had an alliance with King Jabin. So if she were to have helped Sisera, she may have even been rewarded for what she did. But instead, she goes against this treaty that is between her husband and King Jabin. Her involvement in this story is actually quite remarkable to aid Israel, the Israelites for no benefit of her own, whom she is completely unrelated. It leaves you wondering why on earth she did it. And yet, she broke a ton of cultural customs. She broke protocols and allegiances to help a people that were not her, her own. We glean from the story and from cultural custom of the time that in, in Jael's day, it actually would have been completely unimaginable for a man to enter her tent. See, we can get from the story that Jael probably had her own tent and her husband probably had his own tent being the head of the household. And so for Jael to invite another male into her tent was completely inappropriate. For a woman to invite another man who was not her husband or her father was just not the done thing. For a woman to uh, offer hospitality to a male, which was her husband's right to do, broke a whole bunch of different protocols. It violated a number of different customs of her time. In killing Sisera, she aligns herself with, with Israel and she violates a covenant that her husband has set up. And instead of protecting him, she kills him. Can you imagine Sisera? He would have been like, hey, I thought we had a deal here. I thought we had an agreement here. And if we're talking about protocols, it's just plain bad manners to kill your guest, to murder your guest. It totally goes against all the rights of protection and hospitality that you would expect to receive when you're invited into someone else's home as a hospitable act. I mean, hospitality was one of the highest values 
of the ancient uh, of this ancient uh, culture in Near Eastern society, her actions were actually really deceptive and incredibly devious. See, this story seems like a culmination of a whole bunch of strange and unusual events. Circumstances that should just never have happened. Situations that were out of the norm. Occurrences that don't make sense. They just don't seem right. And yet, and yet, God still comes out victorious. And it gets me thinking about the times in our lives where everything about a situation often doesn't feel right. It feels wrong. There's times where the circumstances that are happening around us, they just should never have been happening. Things that just feel like a series of unfortunate events. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us are walking in seasons right now and God might be saying to you that it's time to trust. It's time to trust that his victory will still come even though it's not going to be the normal way. Maybe the way you've had your children wasn't the normal way. Perhaps your health journey that you are going through right now just isn't the normal way. Maybe your family dynamic is not the normal way. Perhaps the season that your marriage is walking through now is difficult and it feels like it's just It's not the normal way. Perhaps there has been a circumstance, something that's happened to you in your life, in your past. And listen, it should never have happened, but it did. Some of us probably right now, maybe we even feel like the Israelites would have felt in that battle. Like everything is stacked against you. Like victory looks impossible. Nothing is going our way. In fact, They positioned themselves to begin the battle at the top of a mountain. They were, when they were at the top of the mountain, they were high. They were safe away from where 900 iron chariots could climb up that mountain. And I have absolutely no doubt that I'm sure it was super tempting for the Israelites to stay up on the mountain, to stay cowering at the top there, away from the circumstances that they were facing. And yet, yet what did God do? He called them off the mountain. He called them off the mountain and into the battle toward their victory. And if you feel like one of those Israelites today, then there are a few things that I want you to remember. And the first thing is this. I want you to remember that God can work his purposes through unusual places. God can work his purposes through unusual places. In fact, I want to let you know that unusual is often where God does his best work. You ever watched a game show on TV where the presenter asks the question and the contestant jumps in and prematurely answers the question before the presenter has even had a chance to finish the sentence? They think they know what he's going to say. They think they know what the end of the question is going to be. And yet most of the time they get it wrong because they assumed they knew, but it turns out they didn't actually know. And I often think and wonder whether you and I can be a little bit like that with God and with the answers to prayer that we are looking for in our circumstance. I wonder if God chooses 
to, to use unusual people, unusual circumstances and unusual things to bring about the miracles we are looking for. Because he doesn't ever want us to come to a place where we are complacent and self-dependent. Listen, he doesn't want us to become know-it-alls of our own miracles. And I, I wonder, I think that maybe he uses unusual things in order to keep us guessing. Because when we are, when we are in those places, when we are in situations like that, we can stay dependent on him. Because if he worked through the same people, the same way, the same time, every time, what we would do is we would try and develop a patent for the way that God works, wouldn't we? We'd try and, we'd try and label it. We, we would try and put a package on it with a little sticker on it. We'd try and put it in a box of this is how things should be. This is how God works. And what happens when we do that is that we limit what God might want to do in our lives because we can't see past our carefully laid plans. We can't see past our how it should be schedule or the who God uses list that we so often draw up. Can you imagine the response from Barak's army when he began to tell them the battle plan? And they would have been like, so Barak, tell us who's going to lead us into this battle. He's like, uh, oh, um, have you guys met Deborah? She's a really lovely lady. They would have been completely taken by surprise. And imagine the Israelites' reaction when they found out how the battle ended and who ended it. Not only did victory fall at the hands of a woman, but, which would have caught them by surprise, but the woman in question wasn't even one of God's people. She was not one of them. I can imagine that they would have been like, what? You chose to use her? Of all the people you could have chosen, you chose to use her? But I want to let you know today that sometimes God can bring right out of what we deem is wrong. And there are many situations in our world right now where we may not be able to see how God could bring good out of that situation. There may even be people in positions that we don't think good could come from. And I think it's easy for us to limit what God could do because it doesn't fit into the boxes we have set up for him to move in. But I wonder if there is some good that God wants to bring through some very unexpected places, through some, some things that are just out of the ordinary, out of the norm. Unusual is where God often does his best work. You just have to take one look at scripture to see that. I mean, Mary, she was a young peasant virgin girl who brought the saviour into the world. Moses was a murderer with an anger issue and yet he led a whole nation into freedom. And not only that, but he heard the law and gave the law to the people from God that would set them up as a nation after God's heart. Jacob was a liar. Noah, he was a trunk. Samson was a moral. Gideon was a scaredy cat. David was an adulterer, Elijah was depressed, Rahab was a prostitute, Jonah ran from God and the disciples. Wow, the disciples, well, they were, they were the disciples. Do I need to say more about them? And yet God used them all because that's exactly the kind of God he is. And maybe some of you, 
need the reminder today that God can work his purposes through unusual places. The second thing I want you to remember today, if you're finding yourself in a season where everything just looks like it's stacked against you, remember this, unusual makes room for the only God moments. Unusual makes room for the only God moments. There were so many things that happened in this story which just weren't supposed to happen. So many circumstances that were out of the ordinary, out of the norm, that were just so unusual. But it's in these occurrences, in these unusual occurrences, that there was room made for the miraculous to take place. The outcome, the victory on that day, pointed to one explanation and one explanation only. It was an only God victory. Only God could have done it. Only God could have routed that army, causing confusion to set in. Only God could have caused an underdog army with everything stacked against them to end up on top, leaving absolutely no survivors. Only God could have used a homemaker, her only weapon, a tent peg, to bring victory over the commander of an army for no gain of her own. Many of you will know that over the past 18 months, uh, Steve has journeyed a, a health issue, a balance issue, that has caused some pretty significant um, issues, both physical and mental. And it's been a really difficult um, last year or so for us. He's so much better. Thank you so much for your prayers. But there were a few months last year where it was a really difficult season and there were many times in that season where we just could not see a way through. We didn't see how God was going to turn it around and I can remember one particular Sunday and Steve was preaching the Sunday message. He was rostered to preach that week and he had brought a great word and I can remember uh, on that Sunday morning and his dizziness, the balance was really, really difficult. And he had struggled through that first um, Sunday morning sermon. And I can remember he got off the platform after preaching one message and he handed his notes to me and he said, I'm not going to be able to do that again. I need you to preach the next message for me, the next service for me. I have to tell you, this is every preacher's worst nightmare to all of a sudden, with no preparation time, be preaching a message that is not your own. And so with five minutes to quickly read over the notes and try and remember as much as I could from the previous service, I got up that, that day and I preached a message. Actually, maybe it was one of my better messages. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and I can remember preaching that message and I can remember really feeling God with me in that moment. And there have been times since then where people have uh, referred to it and they've said, like, how did you do that? Like, what happened? Uh, how, did, uh, how, did you, how did you manage? How did you even get up there and do that? And my only answer is this. I don't know. It must have been God. It wasn't me. It was only God. It definitely wasn't by my own strength, by my own gifting, by my own talent. It had to be God. It was an only God moment. And there are some seasons in your life where all the signs will point to disaster. Times when you look around and you think, well, only God is going to be able to turn this thing around now. You know those moments, don't you? 
times when you've had to have the kind of faith that says this cannot happen outside God. You know the best thing about those moments? They tell a story of God's miraculous intervention and victory. Because people are going to ask you, how? How did you get through it? How did it happen? How did you stay so hopeful in that season? How did you not have your faith rocked and shaken? And you will say, it was only God. Only God could have done it. Unusual makes room for the only God moments. The third thing I want to remind you of today, when you are facing a season of difficulty, a season that's, listen, it's just not the normal way. Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to let history build your faith. Let history build your faith. What's really interesting about the story in Judges chapter 4 is that it actually reflects a more familiar story to us found in Exodus 14. The story about the Israelites escaping through the Red Sea. According to Jewish tradition, these two stories are linked. When we look at Judges 4 verse 15, it says, When Barak the Lord, when, when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and warriors into a panic. Other translations say use the word routed or use the words confusion. In Exodus 14, we can compare those verses in Judges 4 to Exodus 14, verse 24, where it says, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire in the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. In both of these stories, we can't help but know that it was the Lord who was bringing the victory. It was the Lord who was bringing the victory, not Barak, not the Israelites, not any army, not Jael, but the Lord. Both of those stories are also followed in the next chapter by a poem or a song meant to declare the victory, the goodness, and the faithfulness of God. And in Judges 5, 21, it paints a picture for us of a river sweeping away the chariots. It's very similar to the picture that we see in Exodus where the, the uh, Egyptian army gets swept away in the Red Sea. In Judges 5, verse 21, it says this, the, Kish, the river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul be strong. Now, we can't be 100% sure and commentators aren't 100% sure uh, whether this really happened, whether it was an event that really happened or whether it was poetic language. We don't know. However, it does serve to do one thing, to remind God's people of what happened to the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. It pointed them back to a time when God also brought a victory that looked impossible. Why would he do that? Because history has a way of building our faith. There is a history of God intervening on behalf of his people. There is a history of God miraculously bringing about an impossible victory. There is a history of God coming through for his people when it looked like there was no way. And it's that history that they could depend on now. And there are going to be times in your life, in my life, where we also need that same reminder. 
Our faith is built when we lean on history. And I don't just mean leaning on your own history of things God has done in your life. I mean the history of those of others around you who have been there and done that before us. Some of you may be young in your faith. Some of you haven't walked the journey of faith for as long as others. And so often you don't have that deep, deep well of miraculous faith stories that those who are more mature in years might have. That's why we need the faith stories of other people who have gone before us. Younger generation, I want to encourage you today, you need the older generation to be active and present in your life. Here is what we need to understand about faith. It isn't isolated to only us. No, faith is actually communal. Our faith doesn't grow in isolation. It grows in community because we get to lean on each other's faith stories. We get to hear of the victories of God in someone else's journey. And we get to say, if others have seen it, then maybe I'll see it too. Let history build your faith. Here's a challenge for each and every one of us today. Find someone who has walked the journey of faith for longer than you. Someone who has seen the faithfulness of God at work. Someone who has experienced God's miraculous provision. Someone who knows firsthand the goodness, the patience, the grace, the mercy of God. And ask them to share their stories. Ask them to share their stories of faith so that you can let history build yours. You know, I don't know what you are journeying through today other than uh, this COVID pandemic that we are all journeying through together. But what I do know is that there will be times in your life where something out of the ordinary, something you didn't expect comes. And when you are walking through that season, I simply want you to remember that God can work. He can still work his purposes through those unusual places. Not only that, but unusual places actually make room for only God moments in your life. And when you are walking through that season, I want to encourage you to let the history of others build your faith. I'm going to pray for you now. And then after I pray for you, I've just got one more thing I would love to share. Come on, let's pray together, church. God, we thank you that you are in every room, every home right now. As we gather around our TV screens in Whangarei, as we gather in small groups under level two. God, I thank you that your presence fills each room. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would be right there ministering. And Lord, I pray for those who, of us who are walking through an unexpected and unusual season. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes even in moments where we feel like you're absent, Lord, we acknowledge right now and we say thank you that you never leave us and that you are always at work in our lives. God, I thank you that even in these unexpected seasons, these are the seasons where you so often do your best work. And God, I pray over every situation and circumstance, Lord, we are believing for an only God moment. God, we're believing for a situation and circumstance that can tell of your glory, that can tell of your victory, that can tell of your power. God, would you give each and every person a testimony of your faithfulness and your goodness. God, would you help each one of us?
Lord, when we're walking through these seasons, to let history build our faith. God, would you draw people around us who have walked that journey a little bit further than us. Lord, those who are a bit more ahead on the journey with us. God, would you gather around and draw near to us. Lord, would you open our eyes to those in our world who who we can gather faith stories from. Lord, as we journey in community, God, we may not be able to be together as much or in the ways that we're used to right now. But Lord, I pray that that would not prevent community, from encouraging one another in faith through this season. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. I wanna just do one more thing right now. You know, I would love to speak to anyone who is watching today. Perhaps church is not your normal thing. Maybe you're visiting or maybe you've been watching for a little while now. And if you are honest though, you would say that you're not really walking with God. Perhaps. Maybe it was something that was in your life. Maybe God was in your life a long time ago, but right now you're far from Him. I want to let you know today that we believe that God loves you. And He loves you and He created you with a plan and a purpose for your life. And He wants nothing more than to walk a journey of relationship with you so that you can see that plan come to fulfillment and fruition. The problem is is that we all walk away from Him at some point in our life. We often try and do our own thing. We try and make our own way and and we make mistakes and we do it our own way and we turn our back on God. The Bible calls it sin. But he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come and live a sinless life on earth and die a sinner's death so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. And he paid the debt that you and I were due for our sin, that sin that separates us from him so that we could come back into reconciled relationship. And I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want to encourage every single one of you sitting in your homes or in your cars or with your small group, wherever you are, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. Are you ready? Come on, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. I choose today to give my life to you. I choose your forgiveness today. Lord, I turn from my old way of life and I turn to you. I thank you and I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I pray that right now you would come into my life. You would make me brand new today. Thank you for the plans and the purposes you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we just want to say, We think that is the best decision that you could ever make. And we are genuinely so excited and stoked for you. Uh, We would love to be able to help you on your journey. And there are a number of different ways that we can do that. But the easiest way um, that we can support you on your journey, we want to be able to send you a Bible or help connect you with some people. We want to invite you to real life church when it actually happens. The easiest way to do that is for you to click the button that's coming up right now on the screen. It says, I raise my hand. If you today are saying yes to Jesus, if you're saying, Bex, count me in on that prayer, why don't you go ahead and click that button? Don't be shy. Our team are an amazing group of people and they would love to be able to help you on your journey. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit 
www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.